This is episode 104 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with award-winning author and lifelong horse enthusiast, Laura Holt Haslam. Laura writes books that entertain, educate, and inspire horse lovers of all ages. She's passionate about sharing her love of horses through art, writing, and hands-on learning. Over the past 35 years, she has taught basic horsemanship and mentored hundreds of children and teens, encouraging them not only to become more confident equestrians, but more compassionate people. Her middle grade novels, Sophia Surprise, A Place for Sophia, and Sophia in Sundance, explore the transformative power of horses and friendship. Laura is the mother of two young adult children. She lives in southern Maine with her husband, two adorably naughty cats, and the friendliest dog you've ever met. She and her daughter share ownership of Max, a 26-year-old Palomino miniature horse who loves to jump. Max lives with his best friend, a pony named Dusty. They are the official spokesponies of Laura's publishing imprint, River Pony Press. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horsebook authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horsebook. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horsebooks, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I am so excited to have Laura Holt Haslam on the show with me. Welcome, Laura. Hi, Carly. It's so great to be here. I am so excited to have you. Laura has some amazing stories about friendship and courage and moving forward and bonding with horses. But before we get into the nitty gritty of her books, I always love to ask this question to the authors that come on the show. Laura, how have horses inspired your life? Well, horses have really been pretty much my entire life almost. I was reflecting on this and realized that my first love was actually dinosaurs. <laughs> and when I was when I was five or six years old, I could name all the different kinds of dinosaurs and I wanted to grow up to be a paleontologist. And I was thinking about how probably my six-year-old self might be a little bit disappointed that I didn't end up going there. But one of the things about dinosaurs, you know, you can't ride them. Mm. That would be cool if you could. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So sometime, I think probably around age seven or eight, I started getting very interested in horses. I started reading books about horses. And then when I was 11 years old, I was able to start taking riding lessons. And this was at a wonderful barn about four miles away from my house, which was useful because then I could ride my bike there too. And I took English riding lessons with a woman who was a dressage instructor. I had no idea what dressage was. And when I was a kid, I don't think I even realized that my dressage instructor was pretty well known in the, in the area. But anyway, it was a good foundation for basic riding skills. When I was 14 years old, I'm a little bit weird, I guess, as a kid. I don't know. I was reading my parents' New York Times. I don't know why. I don't really remember. But they had a section in there about camps. And I started looking at summer camps. And I found out that there was this month-long summer camp 
in Massachusetts for riding. And I asked my parents if I could go. And that was really a pretty life-changing experience for me because I got to spend a whole month with these horses. They were mostly Saddlebreds and Morgans. It was actually uh, like a breeding and training facility too. It was fairly unstructured, actually. We rode quite a lot. We got to hang out with the horses quite a lot. But in our free time, we got to kind of just hang out at the barn and do what we wanted. And all the other girls in the camp had a partner to work with to take care of their horse. But I was the odd girl out, which might seem bad, but actually it was awesome because I got my own horse. His name was High Note and High Note was a Morgan. I got to clean out his stall. I make it perfect every single day, like twice a day. I cleaned his tack every day. And then when camp was over, guess what horse was for sale? High notes. Really? It was high note. Oh my God. And so I was able to convince my parents. I don't think it was actually that hard. They were really wonderful about it, that I could buy high note and bring him home to the place where I took lessons. That is like the best story ever. I mean, you were cleaning the stall, making making it perfect and cleaning his tack all day. What parent wouldn't be like, okay, we need more of these skills, you know, but how lucky I need to, to return mm. home from camp with this horse. That is so fantastic. Mm. That's like a dream story. And I love it hearing is. that another young woman loved dinosaurs because I did mm -hmm. too. I could name mm -hmm. them all. My parents right. would take me to the museum mm -hmm. where the dinosaurs were, and I'd be pointing everything out with the skeletons, and they'd be and people would be like, "How's this little kid know all this stuff?" And then I transitioned to horses. So high five! Yeah. It's nice. To all hear right. Somebody else like like the <laughs> the dinosaurs too. Now you had all this great experience with horses and I agree dressage is an awesome foundation and you've channeled your love of horses into a horse book series, mm -hmm. which is also has an interesting story because I understand it became a series, but you wrote the books in out of order fashion, which is really right. interesting. Talk to us a little bit about your horse book series and, and kind of what inspired you to write these books. Well, sure. And it was written out of order. Because honestly, I didn't set out to write a series of horse books. Mm -hmm. For me, writing has always been one of those things that I've kind of enjoyed, but it wasn't really something that was a passion of mine. But as far as these books, it really, I think, came about when um, I have two kids. One of them is a horse kid and one of them isn't. My older child is a horse crazy person and we have a miniature horse named Max and that she grew up with. We've had him since she was three and a half years old. And so he's been an important part of her life, but also mine and doing things together. When my daughter went off to college, it really left kind of a void for me. And I was really struggling a lot emotionally. Part of it, I think a lot of women go through this kind of, we might call it a midlife crisis. I was around just around 50 years old and my kids were growing up and I just needed something else in my life. And so this story came into my mind about a horse named Snickers, who was a miniature horse and his person had gone away and he didn't understand why. Mm. And, you know. It wasn't personal at all, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, where else do we write from, right? You exactly. Know, these, these emotions that we feel can bubble up and spark into fictional characters, mm -hmm. right? So that's awesome. Right. So Snickers was, he just couldn't understand where his person had gone off to. Mm -hmm. And I imagined, I had actually started writing this story 
first person from the perspective of Snickers. Mm-hmm. That's actually kind of hard to do. I know some horse riders do that. I, it didn't work so well for me, but just kind of working out the story in my head and it kind of ignited in me a, a kind of a rediscovery of how much I enjoyed writing. And particularly for me, I'm a discovery writer, mm-hmm. which is, you know, some people call it a pantser. <laughs> I like discovery but writer better. <laughs> I like discovery writer way better. It's just a magical experience for me to be able to sit down and not even really know where the story is going, but having the characters direct it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, sitting down in an hour later, maybe having a scene that I didn't even think of when I was sitting down to write. So um, my first book that I wrote was called A Place for Sophia. And some of those characters like Snickers, the miniature horse are there and the girl who went off to college. But it ended up being, of course, something very different. But this is A Place for Sophia. So this is the first book that I wrote, my first novel that I published. However, it actually is not the first book in my series, which is a little funny. Uh, After I wrote A Place for Sophia, I had some kids who asked for a sequel. And I thought, oh, I'm going to write a sequel. Okay. And that was very exciting to me. So the sequel became Sophia and Sundance, which was the second book I wrote. After that, I was thinking, okay, how do I market my books? How do I get people to find out about this? And I thought, oh, I could write a novella that was like a prequel to the story. And then I could maybe give it away and get people into the series. So I started working on this prequel novella and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I loved it. And other people who read it loved it. And I decided it couldn't be a novella. It was going to be a novel. And that is what became Sophia's Surprise. So after going through all of that, I said, you know, that's actually going to work better for the first of the series. And at that point, I mean, how many people had even read the other books? Not a huge number. So it's okay. We can reorder the series. So that is where Sophia's Surprise came out. Oh, that's awesome. And then so far, it's a three book series. Mm -hmm. And do you have intentions of how long do you think the series will be? I know that it's at least going to have a fourth book that I am working on kind of a little bit. I have another book in a different series that I'm working on actually right now. Mm -hmm. But I suspect that there'll be two more books in the Sophia series, I think. And there might be some spinoffs because some of the characters that she interacts with are really fun, particularly there's a girl named Olivia and Olivia has a physical disability that never gets in her way. And she's very determined and sometimes a little hot-headed, but a very fun character. And so I'm thinking I might do a spinoff with her as well. Lovely. I love this. So you, you know, you took some of that Mm -hmm. strange feeling of your children growing up and moving Mm -hmm. on and you channeled rather than spinning, you know, in a negative Mm -hmm. direction, you channeled that into a passion, which is, which became writing. And now you've created a world. I love the spinoffs. I love that you've Mm -hmm. got series going. I see your mind working and Mm -hmm. that you've got other books on, on your mind. Mm -hmm. I think that is so fabulous. And you are a great testament to what's next, you know, after yeah. being a mom and raising children, what's next. And that, and mm-hmm. that provides room for passions and to take on new projects and learn new things. So I, I give you a lot of credit for, for doing that and taking that on now. Oh, thanks. Okay. You mentioned Max, but mm-hmm. as I was galloping on your website, I noticed, and I thought this was so cool. Uh, Max and 
Dusty, who are miniature horses, uh, mm-hmm. are spokes ponies for mm-hmm. River, River Pony Press, which is yeah. your what you publish under. Talk to us a little bit about Max and Dusty and how they've kind of become these spokes ponies, which I thought was so cute. <laughs> oh, great. I can always talk about those guys. So first of all, I have to tell you about Max. Mm. Uh, Max is our horse. Dusty is a pony who belongs to a really good friend of mine. I actually, over my life, I've done a lot of um, work with kids and mentoring and mentoring teenagers as well. And so this person who owns Dusty is actually someone who I've kind of mentored for a long time and helped to get her into horses. So anyway, she owns Dusty, who is adorable. He's a small pony that kind of has Appaloosa coloring. He's like a few spotted leopard you know, black and white, I guess is what you'd call him. But he's got like eyebrows. So funny. And you sent me pictures of him, which yep. I'll include in your show notes. Yeah, so definitely. Can, can gallop over your show notes. Oh, yeah. So you got to see that because he's got like eyebrows. He's cute. Anyway, <laughs> but my, my miniature horse is Max. And we have had Max for over 20 years. I got him originally from a friend of mine. She had gotten them him for her grandchildren who'd outgrown Max, but also my friend was at the time dying from cancer. Oh, goodness. And so I ended up basically adopting Max into our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was before my youngest was even born. I was pregnant. And uh, anyway, we brought Max home. It was on 9-11 of 2001. So I will never forget the day that we got Max. Mm-hmm. But Max is a Palomino. He loves to jump. Um, in the background here, I have a couple of horse show ribbons that he won at miniature horse clubs doing jumping. And we used to drive with him as well. But he also taught uh, my daughter how to ride. He's a little bit on the big side for a miniature and she was small for her age. So Aww. she got to learn. Anyway, so Max and Dusty live at a farm that's also a campground in the summer uh, with a whole bunch of other animals but Max and Dusty live in a paddock together they are best friends Dusty's sometimes a little bit a little bit more of a boss over Max but they're great and I love to teach kids about horsemanship with them so when I thought about publishing and oh what kind of name would I use I thought oh Max and Dusty have to be a part of this and we are right um, next to the Saco River in southern Maine. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, they're the river ponies. Aww. And they became the river ponies of River Pony Press. That is so that is so awesome. And and <laughs> what a what a good thing you did for him, but you're doing good things with him for others. And what mm-hmm. an important part of your family. I mean, he's been part oh, yeah. of all the way through your children growing up I, mm-hmm. and now you've written a book series inspired by him that's what a testament yeah. to his life that is so wonderful <laughs> and in fact max I, I dedicated my first book to max and my daughter oh that is so perfect I love that I love how creativity can take so many different threads mm-hmm. of things that we've experienced in our life and then give them new meaning and and share them with others because Mm-hmm. I love the message that you hope to inspire with your book series. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, there's a few different things that are important to me just personally that I want to have out in my books as well. And I very much believe in the power of love and the power of forgiveness. And I think so many of us walk around with these conflicts with people that we really 
we should care about, that we should love, but but there's just a lot of uh, difficulties in many families. And I know that a lot of kids grow up with that as well. And so Sophia is a kid who comes from a family that is definitely, could be described in a lot of ways as dysfunctional. And she has a very chaotic kind of childhood where she's moving around quite a lot. And yet throughout the book, I really like to present opportunities for Sophia and the adults in her life to understand maybe what does it mean to love and forgive one another, even when hard things have happened. So that is a message I hope really shines through the books. I also care a lot about friendship and Sophia has to navigate a lot of uh, difficulties sometimes with friends. And I think a lot of us forget when we're grownups how difficult it is in that age when you're you know, in middle school, when there's that transition between when you're a child and when you're a teenager, it's so rough. And there's just all these emotions and things just feel so big. And so I hope that the books also offer uh, kids a chance to be able to maybe see how this is modeled, how some setting boundaries sometimes, being able to say no being able to compromise, being able to deal with jealousy and even bullies. So these are kind of, particularly as the book series goes on, it definitely is a strong theme. And another one that I think is so important that I want to write about and hope people see is resilience, because I know a lot of us don't have everything we want. You know, you might be a kid who loves horses and you wonder, am I ever going to be able to ride? You know, it's expensive. How could I have my own horse? And I think Sophia models that if we work hard and maybe we're not afraid to go and shovel the poop and <laughs> do all of that stuff, that sometimes you got to take the opportunities that come to you. And there are ways to get involved with horses and work hard. So those are the themes that are important to me in my book. Oh, melt my heart. That is, that's beautiful. And again, you're, it's a contribution to a phase in life that yes, you're right. As adults, a lot of us forget about, you know, it's just such an awkward time and kids, oh, kids can be, I can't even imagine what it's like these days with social media out there, but like Mm -hmm. kids can be pretty brutal. Now, your covers, uh, okay. Hold hold those up again. I think they're lovely. Talk to us about good. Talk to us about your cover design and and mm-hmm. kind of where you came up with the concept and, and okay. how they turned out. Yeah. Well, great. Well, the thing about covers, this is kind of a fun thing to talk about, maybe <laughs> in the true confessions department, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's help let's help the other aspiring authors out there. Yes, let's well. go back the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that they always teach you everywhere is that it's really important to hire a good cover designer. Mm-hmm. I, however, had pretty much no budget. Mm. I am not a person with huge amounts of extra money. And I thought, oh, I can do this myself. Because actually one of my other passions is that I do like to create art. And so I thought, hmm, I think I can do this. And one of the things when looking for covers for children's books, a lot of them, instead of having photographs, they will have artwork. Mm -hmm. But I did try to look for photographs. That's an easier way to go. But one of the things that was challenging is that Sophia has a white mom and a black dad. And I really wanted to make sure that that was represented on the cover. And it was actually so, this is a sad thing about horses, that people of color are not 
highly represented in a lot of um, areas in the horse world. Lots of pictures of white girls and horses. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I've got to do this myself. And I dabbled and I tried and I didn't know how to do anything on the computer. I mean, I, I can, I have computer skills, but I had never done digital artwork. Which is a whole nother realm oh my of, gosh. of education and learning. Yeah, I have a new respect for that after becoming an author and, oh, and yeah. cover design. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so the first time, my first attempt. Okay, so I'm going to give you the true compassion. Oh my here. gosh. That, here's, the, here's the first attempt. I'll show you the back first because I like the back better. Okay, so the back is better because it has a cute little horse because I do know how to paint. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a but it was very hard. I had to try to get the background removed. And how do I set everything up? And then the front, oh, Sophia did not come out very good. I didn't like her. I thought it was, you know, not the best. And I was always a little bit embarrassed by this. Now I have a niece who is an art major in college and she said she'd help me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so uh, after I did that cover, I worked with her. And we started thinking about some ideas. A Place for Sophia ended up becoming this cover, which was inspired a bit by books like Charlotte's Web. Mm, Um, Kind of a classic feel. I did not draw this, although I gave some sketches. She she did this on the cover. I had to put the cover together. Mm -hmm. um, And she did the back, which I liked. And then right after that, we were also simultaneously working for Sophia and Sundance. And so I actually did the drawings for that, but uh, she kind of had to help put it into a digital format. Mm. So once that was done, when I went for Sophia's surprise, I said, I've got to do this myself. I've got to figure out how to do this. So I bought myself a inexpensive drawing tablet and a stylus, and I taught myself how to paint digitally. Wow. And how to, yeah, and how to do some graphic design, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) How neat is that, though, that you can combine, your your art is wonderful. Like, you can combine your drawings. And, I mean, so many of Mm -hmm. us grow up drawing horses and, you know, telling Mm -hmm. little stories. And you can, you're able to combine those two passions and actually Mm -hmm. use your artwork for the cover, which I think is lovely. Now, when you design the cover, did you use... Uh, like say Amazon's uh, cover designer or, or how did, no. how did you wind up doing that? Or did you work with her in Photoshop? Like how did you create that file? Oh yeah. So she gave me for, when, for the first two that she was helping me with, I had, she gave me the front and the back and I had to figure out how to do the spine. I oh, um, the got, spine is the hardest part. <laughs> and also how to put all the words in. Um, and where to get the words in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I worked with a couple of different programs, but the program that I'm working with now is one called Flip Studio, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I think a lot of anime users do it, but I, I don't know much about it. I'm cheap, so I don't have Photoshop, but I do know how to do this. So basically I downloaded the template for the book sizes. You have to know how many pages are in the book mm-hmm. um, and download the template. And then I had to just work with that till I get it right and upload it to Amazon. And I also use draft to digital um, and make sure everything fits correctly. Mm-hmm. Another useful tool that people might find um, is book brush, um, which I do use also. And that is helpful to kind of make sure everything looks right and is placed well as a cover. So you can also go into book brush to get those kinds of templates. Hmm. Yep. Well, that's very helpful. And mm-hmm. You know, I love that you said that. I mean, so many authors getting started are on a tight budget and try mm-hmm. to try to figure out how to do these things on their mm-hmm. own. And often it's very challenging. And 
<laughs> and can can get you into trouble. But you know, and you didn't like your first version, and then you went back, and you, that's the great mm-hmm. thing about being an independent right. author, though, is you can update your cover, update mm-hmm. what's inside your book or your back matter, so you can mm-hmm. fix those things. And that's why I put together this podcast so people can hear some of the trials and tribulations that authors go through when they're trying to figure these things out. You know, and there are resources like. Fiverr, where you can where you yeah. can find someone to put your book graphics together for you on on the cheap, uh, and then and I've also found too I've made investments I've I've changed my first cover over and over and ended up working with a professional graphic designer and and realistically if you have all your ducks in a row, it doesn't have to cost that much you know that's what I like to to tell people to have a professional design but and you you mm-hmm. are fortunate and use your resources you are fortunate mm-hmm. you have a niece in art school I mean that yeah. how helpful is that right that's and then, very helpful and don't don't discount that you can learn some of these things on your own which you've done yeah. very successfully yeah thank you that is something that I would say to people that it's good if you want to go ahead and and try to learn these skills part of it for me and part of this whole journey is I like to learn mm. I want to do these things myself mm-hmm. because I want to feel like I've mastered this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I really feel pretty good about the design that I was able to do myself. And I, I can also show you a cover that is a photograph cover that I did for my gratitude journal, which is oh, yeah. another thing that I have published just to show because we're talking about covers. So this is an example of a cover that I did with a photograph that I purchased. Wow, so, that's beautiful. Right. I think it is. I think it came came out really quite nice. So. I do, I do say that most people really should probably get professional help and I probably should too, but I'm a stubborn person. (laughs) Well, that's a lot of, a lot of the reason why we choose independent publishing because we have creative control and we like to figure, I mean, that's the thing. You have to have the patience to figure these things out yourself. If you want to go that route to make a quality Mm -hmm. product, you know, you can do it. So you have to spend the energy and the time and sometimes resources to buy the right programs and figure mm-hmm. out exactly what you're what you're doing to to create a very good product. So it is possible and, and you're a testament to that. Now we've talked, we've touched on it a couple of times here. You you decided to go the independent pu- publishing route. Why did you make that decision rather than going the traditional route? Part of it was that I never initially intended to do this, right? Mm-hmm. It was kind of a project that was a bit of a passion project for me. And when I finally got it to the point that I did feel that it was ready to publish, and there's some things about that too that helped me to get to that point that we haven't talked about yet. But I kind of thought of this as something that maybe it was just going to be for a few people, you know, my family, some of my friends, you know, my kids. It wasn't going to be something I was trying to sell. And so obviously it was easier to go the independent route. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing kind of now, I feel like I like having that creative control. And I don't like the thought that I might have to try to convince somebody, uh, an agent or something like that, that I'm worthy to be represented and that, you know, that this book is is somehow validated because it it is accepted by this agent or accepted by someone else. So that's really partially my decision. Mm-hmm. I sometimes think it might be easier if I went tried to go the traditional route and just in terms of marketing, because that can be hard for children's books. But I haven't decided to go there yet. Maybe mm-hmm. in the future. I don't know. 
Yeah. And well, truth be told, these days now, I mean, a lot of the marketing, even if you are traditionally published, does fall to oh, the yes. author, whether you're, you know, with a publisher or not. So so a lot of the marketing falls to you anyway. Now, uh, and, and I think you mentioned, too, in the responses to the questions that it's faster, which it is. You know, often if you go the traditional route, it can take a couple of years or a year to even yeah. get anything moving. So uh, it is much faster to independently publish and control. A lot of us source people are control freaks. So, <laughs> so doing it that way is, is, is good and it's working for you. Mm-hmm. And you retain your intellectual property, which is, which is really smart. So you've written three books. You didn't intend to be a writer, but it, it's, it's taken off. You're really feeling it and it's, it's being, it's successful. How, how do you structure your day to make sure to get the time in to write? I mean, your children are grown, so you have you know, less, less tearing through the house and oh, yeah. excitement going on. But, but what do you do to, to get the words on the page? All right. Well, because I do have another job too. So it's important for me to uh, try to structure my time. Mm-hmm. Initially, I was just one of these people who just wrote when I felt like it. And I will say that that does not really work very well. <laughs> it works if you want to dabble. It doesn't work if you want to produce books. <laughs> so what my process is now um, and has been for probably a little more than a year is maybe even more than that I don't remember but I get up first thing in the morning I feed my pets and then I sit down and I write for at least an hour and usually more like an hour and a half before I do anything else Mm -hmm. and then I know it's done Mm -hmm. and it gives me a sense of accomplishment for the day because the times when I say oh I'm going to get to it later I end up not getting to it later. <laughs> and then, and then you beat yourself up and berate yourself for not getting oh, yeah. writing. And yeah, it's exactly. just better to get it out of the way. <laughs> and you know, there's so many other tasks once you get publishing books, as you know, and I'm sure that many of your listeners know, you get the book published and there's still so much to do. I mean, I, I, I have to kind of, in a sense, manage a small business. And so I do that a lot in the evenings. I'm also part of a online critique group, which is really helpful for me, but it also, that requires time too, because I have to make sure that I'm critiquing my partners. Mm-hmm. So got to make sure that you get that time structured yeah. and got to also go see the horse too. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Busy lady. Uh, and then the cr- critique group, talk to us a little mm-hmm. bit about how your critique group works and how you, how you mm-hmm. found yourself a part of a critique group. All right. Yeah. When I started to get a little tiny bit more serious, I thought maybe I should join some kind of group. A lot of writers do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I had actually taken an online course where you got to submit your your writing and had like people who are also taking the course critique it. It was not a big course or anything like that, but I had done that. And afterwards I thought I need to be part of a group. And I looked at local groups that were in person and I got too intimidated Mm. I thought oh my gosh these people are real writers (laughs) I I think we do that to ourselves right we do yes like oh my gosh and they like write real stuff like I write stories about horses (laughs) who writes stories about horses a lot of us yeah exactly (laughs) but anyway so I thought I've got to find a group but I don't know how Um, And then I discovered this group called Critique Circle. And I think there's probably several thousand members of it. It's worldwide. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's critiquecircle.com. The way that it works is that um, you critique other people's work 
and earn some points. And when you have enough points, you can then submit your work to be critiqued. And initially it's hard because you don't know anybody, but over time you start to establish relationships with other people and critique. And it's been wonderful. I've met some wonderful friends. Maybe, you know, I'll never meet them in person. Uh, It's, it just, it's great. We can encourage one another and sometimes give the hard message that this is just not working right. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been a very important part of my process. Yeah. I recommend it. And so doing it digitally and on online where you're not sitting in a room feeling Mm -hmm. intimidated has been Mm -hmm. easier for you because I imagine it's still a little intimidating, right? Or is it easier without that face-to-face kind of interaction? I think that it is initially, it was much less intimidating because you're anonymous. I mean, you just Mm -hmm. have a pen name right up there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They don't even know who you are. Mm -hmm. And of course, when you first I notice a lot of people have this when they first join Critique Circle. I think that a lot of people think their work is a lot better than it really is. And (laughs) I know that sounds terrible, but it's hard to get that feedback, Mm -hmm. but you will grow and you will get better. Um, And so I think that uh, that can turn a lot of people off. But for me, it was really helpful. And it's also helpful to know that you can give that honest feedback and it's not like, you know, that your next door neighbor that you're going to see or the person <laughs> you're going to run into the grocery store, right? We're all very nice. It's not, you know, bad, but yeah, I think and, that that does help. Yeah, that that's great. I mean, well, and that's part of the journey of being a writer because the more you write, the better you do get. And, mm-hmm. you know, you do need feedback and different, mm-hmm. and there are different ways to get that mm-hmm. as you move forward. And, and something to remember is, fresh work is not polished work, you know, so mm-hmm. it, it can only sharpen your tools, I think, to be involved in something mm-hmm. like that. And I love that you mentioned like the anonymous way to do it, which, <laughs> you know, makes a lot of sense because the last thing I, you know, I would ever want for someone to do is join a critique group and be, you know, not move forward with their creative pursuits mm-hmm. because they felt intimidated or put down because some mm-hmm. authors can, and writers can be really, yes. really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you have to you have to find the right people to help you move forward in the right places. So test drive a, cu- a couple of different places, but don't ever be stopped because that happened to me early on in my oh, yeah. career. Is I, I was stopped by feedback from someone who didn't even read in my genre, and I, you know, that was like the first five chapters of my book. So I mean, that stopped me early on. So you, you know, get that first thing done get, you know, work with people that are going to give you feedback. If critique groups work for you, maybe go the anonymous route, like Laura suggests, but, you know, also protect yourself, you know, don't get stopped. If you have this passion or you want to tell this story, absolutely do, but understand there are opportunities and you need to get feedback to polish it before you put it to publication. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And the thing is too, is you will get some people who can be pretty brutal and Mm -hmm. it's hard. Um, I wouldn't want that to stop anybody, but there's also just so many wonderful supportive people as well. And I think over time you can kind of sort that out so that if people did want to go and check out critique circle, just to let you know that there are, anyone can critique on any of the different, they call them the cues, but there is one that's specific to children and young adult, mm, which good. can be helpful. There's also, you know, one that's more um, women's or romance and there's science fiction. So there's all those things. However, they don't have a horse one. <laughs> we need to create more horse. We need pieces. to, but you know what? While doing this, I've actually found a couple of people who 
love horses. And I have a fellow writer friend who has also written some pony books. She's from the United Kingdom. So, but she and I have a great time talking back and forth about horses. Isn't there are that, several others there too. Isn't that awesome? I love how horses bring people together in so many mm-hmm. different realms. It's always like brings us together through our writing, you know, in just you run into somebody at the airport who loves horses, and then all of a sudden this whole conversation explodes. Horses are very big connectors in so many mm-hmm. different ways. You, you took on this passion, you started writing, you wrote the books kind of and reordered them, and you're starting this series, you've got all these ideas. How do you celebrate your successes and milestones as a writer? What do you do for yourself to celebrate? Mm. Well, when I first finished my first draft of A Place for Sophia, my first novel, mm-hmm. I was so excited for myself because I had started, this is something I haven't talked about, but I had started other books and novels at various points in my life and never finished. Mm. And so that was a big deal. And I told people about it and I went out to dinner. <laughs> and then when I uh, <laughs> published the book, oh, yes, I was so excited. Excited. Um, but now it's a little bit more of a subdued celebration. I think it's just, it, I, I am thankful and to celebrate it. And I certainly, when I get the books and hold them for the first time, that's a great celebration too. Oh, yeah. There's nothing like that feeling. And, you know, I love that you said that too, because it does get easier once you, you know, because I had a lot of started projects and things that I stopped. Once you've done it, you know, it's possible. And like, that's a success in itself. Like getting that first hurdle out of the way, then you're like, Oh, I know it's a lot of work and it's an uphill climb, but I can do it. You know, there's something to be said for that. So good on you. And then all of a sudden more books start spilling out of you. You know, it's like, Oh my gosh, I've written three books. I've written four books. I can't believe this. This is amazing. So good on you. And then how are you reaching your readers? Because I imagine given the demographic you're writing for, I mean, I know adults will read it, but you kind of have to focus on the adults and young people's lives in order to encourage them to purchase the book for these young readers. So, so what are you doing in that realm? Right. So what I'm doing is learning. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good, good. Educate, educate, educate. Yes. I'm getting better. (laughs) Honestly, exactly what you said. It's very hard because your target group is not going to be the people who purchase it. And what I have found is that grandparents Mm. are definitely, you know, grandparents are great. They're the ones who buy books for their grandkids. I have to have a shout out to my mom. Mm. My mom is amazing. And I don't, she's like, she buys books for everyone she knows. (laughs) She gets all my books. She sends them out to everyone. So thanks, mom. Yeah, family family can be big supporters. I, yep. I have I have people like that in my corner too. Yep. We need we need them and we thank them mm-hmm. so much. So far, mostly how I've been reaching people is just through people that I know and word of mouth and the contacts that I have. I have some horse related contacts, so I try to work with that as well. But in terms of reaching my audience, one of the goals that I have for this year is to start doing library visits mm-hmm. and school visits. It's a little intimidating for me because I feel like, oh, I have to prove myself or prove that I'm worthy Mm -hmm. to go to the wonderful library. I don't know why. It's a silly thing that we do to ourselves. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Self-doubt is is the worst. We are our own worst enemies with this stuff. I totally know what you're saying. (laughs) But I know that that's the way to really connect with kids. And I love kids. 
I, I, I love mentoring kids and working with kids and encouraging them to read and write mm-hmm. and talk about, I love to talk to kids about horses. Mm-hmm. So I know I'd be very good at doing this. And I've done a lot of those kinds of things in other areas of my life. Mm-hmm. So I probably have the skills to do it. It's just giving them a call and saying, Hey, I, I'd like to do this. And um, if I can work this out, I would love to bring Dusty with me on a couple of those. I'd like to bring Max, but he's a little bit more shy around grownups. He likes kids, but Aww. you have to know your horse. You don't want to stress them out too much. Yes. Absolutely. So I think that Dusty would be a very fun spokes pony. And, you know, they're going to, kids are going to want to come in and see Dusty yeah, the pony. And, well, who's going to turn you down when you say, I'm going to bring a mini pony and talk about, no. you know, read a story for children about compassion and love and friendship. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. He could be your support animal through all this. So, I mean, you've got, exactly. you've, you've got success, the successes written all over this thing. Yeah. I mean, you have a little, you know, ponies way cooler than a dog or something. I mean, dogs are cool, but like bringing a mini mm-hmm. pony to a place like this and having a mm-hmm. conversation about horses and then looping your, uh, your book into mm-hmm. it is like a perfect fit. I think you, you've said you've got ribbons in the back where you've been to miniature mm-hmm. pony horse shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that would be a good place to take your books. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. I thought about that last summer and just general horse shows. Cause there's a lot of minis in my book, but there's also full size horses yeah. just so people know, and there's mm-hmm. riding. Yeah. You know, so it's not just little ones. Like I said, I really enjoy interacting with people. So it's just pushing myself to say, okay, I can do this. And I think it also helps to have a few books. I mean, it's oh, harder yes. to just do if you take one book. The good news is that a very large number of kids, even if they aren't riding, love horses. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty universal thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I always like to ask these questions because everybody's perspective is a little bit different. For you, what has been the hardest part about being an author? And then on the flip side, what has been the very best part about being an author? The hardest part for me has been figuring out marketing mm. and figuring out how to get the books out there to the world. And I think that for many authors, that is going to be one of the hardest uh, things. It can be very frustrating. Mm-hmm. I spent early on, as I was trying to figure this out, I made the mistake that a lot of people do. And if people are listening, I'm just going to tell you this. It's a hard message to hear. but you're not going to just write a book and put it on Amazon and all of a sudden become a bestseller. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. And we want so desperately to have this route that we just, if we take this, this will happen. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I initially tried to just kind of thought, oh, maybe I could, you know, if I sign up for this course and I spend X hundreds of dollars on this course, I'm going to learn how to do it. And there's a lot of things that we can learn, but it's never easy. So that's for me, the hardest part really is that idea of mastering the marketing piece of it. Mm -hmm. But the part that I love the most and why, what really keeps me going besides personally, I enjoy writing, but I love to connect with people who read my books and enjoyed them. And just talking to people, adults, definitely, but I, I love talking to children too. I was thinking about something that happened this summer. There was a girl who I I had met through where I keep Max and uh, her mom had bought her the first book, uh, Sophia's Surprise. And she was about halfway through it. 
and she was seven years old. So Aww. just kind of beginning to read. And oh, so that people know, these are middle, I never even said that. These are middle grade books. So they're really for about age eight through 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she was a good reader. She, she was reading it and she was saying to me, first of all, she was all upset about how Jasper was so mean and he was so mean to Sundance. How could he be such a bully? And it was just so fun <laughs> to talk with her about a particular scene. But she also assured me that she was going to get a horse and that she was thinking that she was going to get a Palomino. Now, one of the horses is a Palomino, but she was going to start out by getting a Morgan. And I love this (laughs) because the Morgan is Grandma Lisa in the book owns a Morgan. And I guess apparently from reading the book, she began to think that somehow getting a Morgan would be a good stepping stone to getting a Palomino. Oh, that is so touching. And then I, don't you have a picture there? Oh, I do have a picture I want to show you. So before, right before Christmas, it's always great to get unexpected presents. And as Mm -hmm. grownups, we don't get very many that are surprises, but there was a package and I thought, what on earth is this? And I've got to go show it to you. Let's see if we can get that all in. It's all in. All right. It's a wonderful picture that one of my readers, one of my big fans sent to me. She had painted it for me and mailed it. I couldn't believe it that she mailed it to me for Christmas. What a great gift that was. And that's a picture of Sophia and Sundance. And I am just, I was absolutely thrilled. I put it on my Facebook. I'm going to share it in my newsletter. I love it when kids send me artwork or stories that they write. So that's one of my favorite things. Well, that's lovely. I mean, obviously you're inspiring and touching and moving these, these young people that are reading your books. I mean, to receive a painting in the mail of your lead Mm -hmm. character and her horse Mm -hmm. for Christmas is a pretty amazing Mm. testament to your words Mm -hmm. that you're inspiring other people and sharing your stories with them. So congratulations. How how lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you could give yourself one piece of advice before you hit publish on your first book, mm-hmm. what would you tell yourself? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's plenty, but you know. there are many things, but I'm just going to tell you embarrassing story, very embarrassing story. Please. Oh, please. Oh, please. Anyone who is about to publish a book, even though you've proofread your book, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, it's perfect, right? And you're getting your proof in the mail. Either you or someone else needs to read the proof copy. Don't just assume it's fine. <laughs> so, so this was the disaster. And in retrospect, it was totally not a big deal, but it was, it was just crushing to me. Mm. So um, somehow when I formatted the book, um, I uh, missed a chapter. Oh. It just wasn't there. Oh, no. It, and the thing is, what had happened in place is I put two of the same chapter in a row. I don't know how I formatted it this way. I think it was chapter 30. I think we got chapter 30 and then got chapter 30 and they were the same chapter, but we were missing chapter 31. And I didn't know this. Oh my. And I had probably sold maybe 30 books, maybe 40 books. When someone alerted me to the fact that you have a repeated chapter And when I saw it, I was horrified. I thought, I've sold these books. I have to make it right. Mm -hmm. And so then I had to go and fix it and buy all these books and send them to all these people that were my friends and family that had bought the wrong book. But we called these the oops copies. And some (laughs) people actually, actually were very kind and kept their oops copy 
with the inserted new chapter that was missing <laughs> that I sent to everybody. Hey, if it ever becomes a TV series, those oops copies might be worth something, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Here's what she did when she first threw out of the gate. Now look how successful she is. I mean, those, <laughs> those things happen, but great, great advice. Do read your proof copies and double, triple, quadruple check your work mm-hmm. before you before you put it out because mm-hmm. I mean but every first first book I think has some sort of oops that you have to go back and fix I know I had some fine so <laughs> it happens but but mm-hmm. good on you though I mean how lucky were you that the most most people that purchased the book were friends and family mm-hmm. and then you did the right yeah. thing you replaced their copies mm-hmm. with with the corrected copies so that was a blessing right and mm-hmm. uh you tell them you hang on to those oops copies because when this yep. becomes a, a TV series, those might be worth something. There you go. <laughs> that's <laughs> what people were telling me anyway. I just laughed at them. But well, that's nice. I mean, see, they believe in you. That's good. And they're like, I'm actually, hanging on to this. <laughs> talk to us a little bit about building confidence as an author because I think mm. this is something that a lot of us struggle with. You know, especially mm-hmm. as we're new and we're learning and we're trying to figure out marketing and all these things, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and not fully understanding that this community is really supportive of each other. So talk to us about how, you know, how you build confidence as an author. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I, it's funny because on some levels, I am the biggest cheerleader for everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm always telling them, you're great. You're awesome. You can do this thing. Rah, rah, and I'm all, you know, cheering people on, but it's hard to take your own advice sometimes mm-hmm. and believe in yourself. So I have this, this funny war that I think so many of us have going on in our heads, which is on one level, I think, Oh, I'm really good at this. I can do this. This is amazing. And then I have this other side, which is like, no, that's terrible. Nobody will ever, it's not legitimate. It's not good. And so I have that little battle going on. And I think that many times, uh, particularly if we, you know, as writers, we care about books, you know, you've read so many incredible books and you almost idolize authors. They Mm -hmm. almost become like, they're like these super amazing people. I could never be one of them. (laughs) there so and so you kind of get the sense of like oh well I guess I can't be that good and I think also you talked about sometimes people give you criticism and I think that it's easy to believe somehow that only certain types of books are worthy Mm. right you know Mm. very deep um, books with wonderful prose or whatever you know that win literary awards those (laughs) are the right kinds of books but I'm really a storyteller Um, Anyway, for my confidence, some of the things that were really helpful for me was actually being on critique circle. As much as initially it was a little hard because you have to recognize those areas that you need to grow in. By the time I was running the second draft of A Place for Sophia Through, I started getting a lot of really, really positive feedback. And I have quite a few people on critique circle who say a lot of good things about what I've done. So that helps my confidence. Mm -hmm. Every time I publish a book, write a new book that helps my confidence. And one thing that was really helpful to me that I would suggest to people who are just beginning, especially if you write for children, I had a friend, uh, I have a friend who is an English language arts teacher for middle school. And she agreed to let me give her my, um, before I published A Place for Sophia, to her students. So she had a group of students who had agreed to 
basically be beta readers. That's for awesome. This. That's and awesome. it was amazing. And they did it as a as as a, like a small group project and discussed it and gave me so much good feedback and positive supportive feedback. And to me, if seventh graders who don't know me at all love the book, mm-hmm. then it must be okay. <laughs> That, that is, is definitely <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. And you know, and and but it took something for you to get yeah. to mm-hmm. the creative circle to feel comfortable giving, yeah. you know, hitting the publish mm-hmm. button to give those mm-hmm. early what a perfect beta reader group, by the mm-hmm. way, for your oh, book yeah. to give that mm-hmm. to them. So how did you push yourself in mm-hmm. from that denial? You know, because we oh, yeah. we tend mm-hmm. to hang on to that negative conversation mm-hmm. or negative conversations much more than the positive stuff so oh, yeah. how did you just go you're doing it <laughs> I kind of just had to go oh I'm doing it <laughs> well I give you a high five to that because a digital high five because that I mean honestly that's what it you have to like just supercharge yourself inside and say I can do this and push through those oh, yeah. early those early stumbling blocks like you had the hiccup with your chapters you tried mm-hmm. to figure out cover design marketing is always something you're researching and learning and trying new things so it's almost like I believe in this even though I've got the two neg- the two sides going on right. in my head and just I can do it I mean I guess that that should be the theme for for the coming year right I can do it yep. I can do it oh, yeah. well here I'll tell you another story about pushing the confidence is my mom kept telling me you should get your books into our local bookstore, uh, uh-huh. none such books. Shout out to them because they carry my books in South oh. Portland, Maine. But I was so scared I couldn't do it. My mom actually brought my books in and put them <laughs> in there first, and then I was like kicking and screaming just a few months ago when I when I finally said oh, I, I, I got to go in and bring them some more books because I had my journal and they had sold some of my other books and. I felt like, oh, walking into this bookstore with a cardboard box of books. I felt so silly. Like, I can't do it. I needed my mom. (laughs) Hey, you know what? There's something to be said for our herd of supporters, too. They can often help push this over over the, Mm -hmm. like, over that ledge. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the good kind of ledge when, yep. when, we, when we need their support the mm-hmm. most. I mean, you talk about resilience, right? That this mm-hmm. is kind of like mm-hmm. resilience message that you yeah. have in your book. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and have you found that all these small moments are giving mm-hmm. you more confidence mm-hmm. as, as you, as you are still growing as a human being? Oh, yeah. have, you, have you, are you finding Absol- that? Absolutely. Um, for sure. And there's so many, you know, I want to tell you, maybe it's not related and we'll sort of wander off just slightly, but I want to tell you another thing that is related to the same kind of confidence thing. As a horse person, as an equestrian, I've always had horses in my life, but my last riding horse that I had, um, Happy, died almost 12 years ago. And I have not owned a full-size horse since then. And I only had an opportunity to ride once or twice a year, and I started losing my nerve, Mm. really, really losing my nerve. And I got to the point where I recognized if I don't do something about this, I'm probably never going to ride. And how can I lose that part of who I am? Yeah. So three years ago, I decided I've got to do this. I'm going to start taking riding lessons. I didn't really have the money to do it, mm-hmm. but I said, I can do it every other week. Mm-hmm. And it has been such a blessing to me to be able to do that. So I just want to encourage anybody, whether it's writing or whatever your passion is, don't just give up on it and say, oh, well, now I'm too old to do it, or I'm not good enough to do it, or physically, or I'm scared. 
you know, it was so, and I've pushed through that and I, I love riding. Uh, I have a dressage instructor mm-hmm. uh, and I am actually, I've learned a lot of things that I didn't know when I was younger. So <laughs> I might not be galloping off and jumping over huge jumps, but I, uh, <laughs> I can now get on a horse and do what I want to do. Oh, I'm so glad so, you shared that. That is yeah. so special. I mean, you're unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Even though you've got that doubt, you're you're still mm-hmm. being unstoppable, and you ha- and you're not giving up on the things that fulfill mm-hmm. you and are part of who you are. And I just oh, yeah. am so happy for you, and I'm so pleased you shared that. Thank you, Carly. Oh my gosh, yes. Thank you so much. And and you're just peeling back the onion and and sharing oh, yeah. with us really authentic, mm-hmm. true things. Now. I have so enjoyed this conversation with you today. And I'm so glad that you got up the gumption to, to, mm-hmm. to get in touch with me and have this interview because I think you've offered so much wisdom for my listeners. You. Would you let people know where they can find more information about you and your books? I have a website, lauraholthaslam.com. All of the books are on the website and um, there are links to every store. I, I publish wide, but you can get them in pretty much any online retailer. You could also sign up for my newsletter. I would love to get newsletter subscribers because I put out a monthly newsletter. It talks about my writing in my books, but mostly it talks about very cute things that happen with Max and Dusty and all of the many other animals who live there. There are a lot. There's like a, There's a, a lot. pot-bellied pig, some lambs, yep. a goat, uh, a couple. Like, oh, yeah. There's so many. <laughs> There's lots and lots of birds and geese and guinea hens and chickens and ducks. And it's a great kind of barnyard experience. So I, I write about those too. So it's fun. And I, I do love to interact with people through my newsletter. So if you go to my website, you can sign up for my newsletter there. Wonderful. And I will make sure to link to all those places in Laura's show notes, along with wonderful pictures of not only her books, but these adorable uh, miniature ponies that Mm -hmm. that inspired her river pony process. So Laura, thank you so much for the gift of your time. I have so appreciated your words of wisdom and I wish you tons and tons of success. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Carly. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.